Welcome to the MSEC podcast, the official podcast of the Military Child Education Coalition. My name is Tara Gleason and I am the producer. This week's podcast has been made possible thanks to the Marnie Community Spouses Club. Thank you so much for your support. This week, Susan's going to sit down with Dodia's Teacher of the Year, and she's going to talk about her journey from being a military child to teaching military kids, and that how, how that helped her recognize the importance of culture when it comes to education. LaShonda, thank you so much for joining us today. And first, let me say congratulations on being selected as the Jodea Teacher of the Year. I am so excited to be here with you today, Susan, and thank you for that. Um, it's such a amazing honor to have and to represent the amazing educators and students that we have in Dodia. So thank you for that. Well, I was perusing your bio and I noticed that you're a military brat, as some, uh, some of us like to say yourself. And I kind of want to just dive right in. How would you say first growing up? as a military child, and then you're now a mom of two military-connected kids. Did that have any sort of influence or effect on you as a teacher? Wow, Susan, I have to say that growing up as a military kid has made a tremendous impact on how I parent, how I parented my own children and how I continue to teach to this day. First, because I moved often as a child and because of that, I often felt like I didn't belong. So I would move to places that was home to many of my classmates. They grew up in the area. They had relatives around them. They had traditions and cultures that were common to their peers, but they weren't common to me. And also because I am biracial and my mom spoke English as her second language, the conversations foods and the culture that I have and that I had have and experienced in my own home was very different than my peers. So it just, it, it, it took a lot of transitioning for me to move to these different places and how I wanted to show up. It was very hard and difficult and just being a th- third culture kid shaped how I saw the world, how I engaged in the world, and how I showed up in the world. And now as a parent and raising my children, who are also third culture children, I don't know if there's a fourth culture term, but uh, I'm going to call them third culture children also, just knowing that they've struggled with similar things and just trying to be a constant for them and bringing continuity in our home is very important. So as an educator, teaching military children overseas, many of my students are third culture children themselves. And it's just very important to me that I teach them in a way that is responsive to their culture, language, history, their experiences, and just really seeing them and valuing them, hearing them and creating spaces that they feel like they belong. Well, I think that's really interesting and you bring up some exceptional points, particularly when it comes to our our military kids. As the DoDIA Teacher of the Year, you've created a three-tier platform uh, as your focus. What I'd like to do is to explore maybe the inspiration before we get into the platform itself. Was there a moment while teaching, maybe the background that you just shared, 
um, or a particular story that really motivated you to create this platform? Yes, actually, there is a story. There are many stories, but this one in particular stands out. And before we moved to Bahrain, I was a coach for six years. And when I moved to Bahrain, I went back into the classroom full time and was blessed to have my own classroom. And I had a number of students who struggled in a variety of ways and who also had uh, and had some students who had different learning, not learning, but different learning diversities, actually. And I honestly did not feel equipped to support them. And I'm not ashamed to say it. I don't think it has anything to do with me not having classroom management skills. I just think I was not aware and I didn't have the tools in my tool belt to help students who are struggling socially and emotionally and every day dealing with the, dealing and having to respond to their different needs. And I started seeking out different tools that I could use to support them. So I had one child in particular who, you know, would hide under the desks, would hit students, would run out of the classroom as soon as something became challenging. And I just had a lot of compassion for this child and and this child's family. So trying it to learn and to gather resources, a couple of things I was able to glean and implement to help this child. And that has really been a huge part of this three-tier platform that as the DODIA Teacher of the Year. Well, the first pillar or the first tier in this particular platform is to have teachers to be more trauma informed and resilient focused. Can you elaborate on this a little bit more? Yes, most definitely. I think one of the things that I sought out a lot during this year, whenever I went back into the classroom was. I actually heard about it years before. It was actually from Oprah. It was a very inspiring story she did. I believe it was on 60 Minutes. And she did a session on the importance of being trauma-informed. And I remember then going on Twitter and giving a shout out to that session that she did and looking for any types, any different types of training that I could participate in so that I can learn how to support students who might be struggling with something. And I couldn't find anything at the time. And when I went back into the classroom at the beginning of the year, I started looking again, still struggled. People sent me to spaces like there was a PowerPoint I could read, but I really wanted some training on it. So fast forward a few months later and I had the opportunity to take some trauma-informed and resilient focus courses and also participate in a conference for professional learning. And I felt like this was the missing piece. And one thing you have to be careful about with being trauma-informed and resilient focus, I believe, is that people, the word trauma kind of has a negative connotation. And I really dislike that it does. I It's such a strong word, but I think it's so important to kind of address the elephant in the room. And, you know, we all, I'm not going to say we all, but many of us have experienced some form of trauma in a different, in a variety of ways and levels. And that's a fact for many people around the world. 
And now with COVID, it just takes it to a whole different level. But what's also a fact is resilience and that our bodies want to heal from these negative adverse experiences. So my goal is to not label the child. My goal is to not label myself as a trauma-informed and resilient focused educator, although I can use that to describe, but there's a lot more that goes into it. My goal is to have an awareness of what are our students going through and having a curiosity mindset that says, hmm, I, how can I help this child? What are some good things that are going with this child? How can I better support this child? And seeing them through a strength-based lens versus a deficit mindset and treating this child as a human being versus having pity for them and seeing them through their hurt and their experiences. So that's kind of the first part for me is just having an awareness and recognizing the symptoms in my students if they've experienced any adverse childhood experiences? Well, I think you bring up some excellent points in particular, you know, there is the connotation that trauma can have a, a, a negative um, feel to it, but, you know, you and I had discussed this before the recording and so many people have had some sort of impact on their life and it could even be uh, transitioning to um, a new culture, or it could be transitioning to a new school. And so there is that importance between having a balance of academics and social emotional supports. They go hand in hand because both areas can have immediate effects on each other. So I like how you said that we're looking to empower the child. We don't want to limit their potential with a label. I just think that's really insightful. So your next tier calls for cultural responsiveness. How do you see this concept being supported in the classroom? So this is such a special part of the platform to me because every, I believe that every person has a culture and they have something about themselves. They have something about their homes, something about their lives that makes them unique. And being culturally responsive is a major part of being trauma-informed and resilient-focused because of many of these cultures have, a, have are resilient and they have stories of resilience. And we need to tap into that when we see our students and the students who come into our classrooms. And so the first part for me of having this mindset of being responsive to our students' culture is intentionally acknowledging and incorporating our students' funds of knowledge within our classroom and instruction, meaning our students come in with knowing so many different things and things about their experiences that they have that we may not know unless we create a space where we say, hey, what you've experienced is important. Come share it with us. Your traditions and culture is special. Let's let's highlight that and let's have everyone celebrate that. So just creating a space where all students come to our classroom and their different backgrounds are celebrated and that they can see themselves in the learning. So also being culturally responsive is incorporating those funds of knowledge into my instruction so that they see that the instruction is relevant, accessible, and hopefully it will be impactful because it incorporates the essence of my students. And 
whenever they whenever students see themselves in the learning it creates belonging and when students feel like belong and i think this is for all people it makes the learning stick the learning sticks when you feel welcomed in a space the learning sticks when you feel like you belong and that you can enter the content in with what you bring to the classroom uh one a major important aspect also of being culturally responsive is that it builds respect between the members of the classroom community because now that we're taking this time to look at each student and celebrate who they are we see the humanity in our peers we see the humanity in our classmates and then we don't other them we say you know what they're different but they're important and they're special and we love them for who they are so just having that empathy and that humanizing factor is very important to me with being culturally responsive well the final tier of your platform is storytelling and identity and I, you touched upon that just lightly talking about your concept of cultural responsiveness and i have to say I find this third element really fascinating because one of the key components of insect podcasts are to create spaces for, you know, shared stories and experiences. So I really believe that this could have the potential to have a truly powerful support. So how do you see these elements having a significant impact on students in the classroom today? but also in their relationships with their teachers. Gosh, you know, it's so powerful for me, the storytelling and, and identity, it's kind of like that foundational truth. It's like everyone has a story and everyone has their identity. And if we take, if we create a space and take the time to get to know these things, then our students can thrive, but we also learn as educators. So taking into account our students' stories and thinking about their identity, to me, that's what fuels being trauma-informed and resilient-focused and culturally responsive. You know, when a child has experienced trauma, we're not trying to learn exactly what happened per se. We're recognizing the symptoms, but we're being open and we're creating spaces of trust and belonging so that their stories can come out. And being culturally responsive, one of the tools that you can use in being culturally relevant is storytelling. It's one of the oldest ways that people have used to communicate and pass down lessons and stories. So for me, storytelling is one of the things that makes us human beings. It's our story. So how can we make sure that we tap into that so that our students can thrive socially, emotionally, and academically? And I think just, again, creating those spaces where, they're, where our students feel seen, heard, and valued so that they want to share their story and they're excited to share their story and that everyone in the classroom is so excited about these stories one of the biggest things again for me about these platforms and the connection with the teacher in particular is that there's this parallel process of healing and learning and what i mean by that is when the educator is taking the time to learn the stories of those around them and their students you're you you can't help but to reflect on your own story when you're 
intentionally including work in the classroom where you're exploring, helping your students explore their identity and who they are. It could be something as learning what their name means. You can't help but to reflect on your own name and your own identity. And there's this parallel process of kind of uncovering some of these things that maybe you didn't really recognize or realize as you're helping and supporting your students. So I think that's a very powerful aspect of using storytelling and my three-tier platform is that it helps everyone involved. And the mindset of staying curious, especially when being trauma-informed and then creating an a learning environment where students belong and see themselves in the learning, dealing with the cultural responsiveness, this helps settle the, the body so that the brain can keep its thinking brain on. You know, the ultimate goal of being an educator is helping our students learn. And according to brain research, if we can create spaces where we can tell stories because we have mirror neurons and they kind of mirror, whenever someone tells a story because of these mirror neurons, you feel like you're experiencing it yourself. So if you can teach through stories, it's a way for your brain to remember what happened and to remember what you're learning. If you're settling your body and staying curious, your thinking brain can stay engaged. If you create learning environments where students belong, they can further keep that thinking brain on and explore and be creative and enjoy, find joy and wonder in learning. So all of this for me is just brain science, being trauma-informed, being culturally responsive and using storytelling is all centered around brain research with helping our students learn in the best capacities and best ways that they can. So that's that's kind of where it sticks with me with the parallel process of healing and just using good brain science to help our students thrive and heal. Well, you can definitely see how each of your um, tiers in your platform, they sort of nest or build upon each other. And we talked earlier about balance and, the, and how uh, academics and that social emotional supports that they, they also sort of nest within each other. And that when there is a balance, it really can have some a positive um, effects on our students. And speaking of research, um, you know, here at MSEC, we, we do a lot of research-based information, and there is research out there that has supported that parent involvement also can have a positive effect on children. Based on your knowledge and experience, what would you recommend to parents that are listening to this podcast on how they could best support their military kids? Oh, that's such a powerful question. And, you know, being a military spouse, and a mother of military children, you know, this is very important and very special to me. I would first want military parents to know that you're that you're not alone and that there are a lot of resources like you like MSEC that can help guide you as you're going along this path and journey. I would say one of the things that I would pay attention to for sure is whenever we have these transitions or moving or mom and dad are gone and there have been changes in the home, just being very conscientious of the different behaviors that you might see and 
you know, many, many um, military parents are very familiar with, you know, some of these patterns of behavior, but just really paying attention to those. And as an educator, communicating with your child's educator. For me, it's very important when a parent sends me an email and says, hey, my child, uh, my child's father or mother, they're going to be leaving. They're going to be leaving for a long time. That's very important to me. So communicating to your child's parent, to, to your child's educator or teacher, that there's a major change that's happening in the home. You wouldn't believe how much that is appreciated by the teacher so that they can kind of keep an eye and a pulse on what's happening with that child and to kind of give the parents some feedback on what they see too. And I think as those transitions are happening and making sure that that those are being communicated, being a part of that learning space, letting that educator know that you want to be involved, sharing as much as you can about your family traditions and culture, sharing any struggles that you know your child might be struggling with, just honestly is communication and just communicate those needs and let your child's educator know what you need. I remember here in Bahrain, um, we had um, some threats at our school and I remember a mom coming in and she just needed to talk. You know, her spouse had to leave right away and it was at last minute notice. They had bags packed near the front door. They were ready to go at any moment. No one knew what was happening. We even had a lockdown at school one day. No one could leave. There were all these threats around the, the community at that time. And just that, I would never had known what that mother was going through if she did not come in and just say, hey, can 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 you talk to me? Can I share some things with you? And it, at that moment, it didn't even have anything to do with the child. She just needed to release. So not everyone may be open to that, but finding someone where you can release these stressors and pressures of being a military spouse or um, and finding those safe places where you can share and kind of discharge those emotions, I would say is very important and that you're not alone and ask for help. No, I completely agree. We we have a couple of different webinars on the topic, and one of the things we talk about is web of support. Web of support for children, but adults too need a web of support. Um, you know, and and that looks a little bit different than the child's, but it still is equally as important. In fact, uh, talking about your recommendation of communication. We have uh, IMSIC has a webinar called Communication 360, and it's all about the relationship between the educator, the child, and the parent, because okay. each role is so important, and each role needs to sort of nest within each other um, to have that cyclical, you know, or have that cyclical relationship really yes. to um, foster the success of the child. So I think what you shared was so important to hear. Sometimes we know it, but we do need to certainly always reinforce that that importance of communication. Lashana, as we wrap up today, do you have any final stories or advice for our military students and their families? You know, I wanna go back to that student who I talked about earlier who kind of inspired this work. And I remember as we were sitting down meeting weekly 
and coming up with a plan and trying a variety of resources. I remember the dad sitting in my classroom and just struggling and almost on the verge of tears of just kind of like a hopelessness and just really sharing how much they love their child. And that was so powerful to me because I think sometimes when we see children struggle and sometimes when the behaviors can be really strong, it can be easy sometimes for us to protect our heart and to turn our love off because we we don't want to continue to hurt. And just talking to those parents, it just really confirmed to me to you know, keep our love on. And I know it can be hard. You know, I, I'm a military parent too, and walking through hard seasons, especially when my, my children were teenagers, it, it's a challenge. It's a challenge, but it's so worth it in the end. So as an educator, as a parent, with our military connected students who are going through a variety of transitions and change, let's just keep our love on. Well, I love that sentence to wrap up with. Keep our love on. Lashana, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate having you here and taking the time to chat with us. Thank you so much. It was an honor to be here and to share my heart. Thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely. Anytime. And for our listeners, we're going to include in the show's notes a little bit of information. So the research about parent involvement, as well as the learning brain uh, that LaShonda referenced. And I'm going to go ahead and add a link to our PDF on how you can create a web of support for yourself or for your child and a link for the webinar that was mentioned on uh, Communication 360. You've been listening to the MSEC podcast. This podcast has been made possible thanks to the Marnie Community and Spouses Club. You can listen to this podcast and those archived by topic when you subscribe and download at Podbean, iTunes, MSEC, all military connected children by educating, advocating, and collaborating to resolve education challenges associated with the military lifestyle. Learn more about our partnerships, programs, and initiatives at militarychild.org. Follow us on social media at Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram for the latest on our enduring mission to serve the children of those who serve us all. Be sure to join us again next week. Thanks for listening.